Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. It really is. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Tom. I've been really looking forward to this, funnily enough. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to sharing with you this morning. Um, we're looking at the topic of singing throughout the summer period. And this week, um, specifically, we're going to look at how singing impacts our hearts and our minds and then shapes the rest of our lives. For those of you paying close attention, you will also notice a theme throughout this preach, which I really felt God impress on my heart for this morning. See if you can guess it before the end. Also, if you're wondering, this pot plant, it's not decoration. <laughs> there is actually going to be a point towards this. So bear with me on that one. If you have your Bibles today, could you please turn to Psalm 23. For those of you without Bibles, it will be displayed on the screen so you can follow along. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father God, we just really ask you this morning to speak to us. Lord, you're real and you are here. You love us so intimately and you care for us. You care for our hearts and our, our minds. So I pray, Lord God, that as the words come out of my mouth, that they would really impact people this morning, that people would understand what I'm trying to bring to them and that I would really think about these things in the future. Amen. So Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous psalm of all the psalms. Um, it's written by the Israelite King David, who you may also know from the story of David and the giant Goliath. David was just a boy when he faced this giant, but this psalm was written later in his life, likely during the time he was king. Whilst preparing for this talk, I've been spending a lot of time reading and meditating on this particular psalm. I believe God wanted, wanted me to highlight a few important parts from it, so I memorised it. It took me surprisingly less time than I thought it would, mainly because I've been around the church scene for quite a while now, and must have heard quite a bit of it previously in different formats, not to mention it's the starting track to that famous comedy on the BBC, The Vicar of Dibley. Do you remember that? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it the way they say it. <laughs> this psalm is a hymn of confidence in the Lord's care, and that is care... Care, is, um, care for us individually and care for us as a whole. He's a, he's a shepherd. Uh, through memorising the psalm, I've been constantly reminded just how much God cares for me. You may be thinking, well, what's a shepherd got to do with us here in the UK in 2018? But the shepherd is a typical theme of animal husbandry, which, um, unless you grew up on a farm around this part of the world, can be pretty alien to you. Sheep are simple creatures and are pretty prone to getting themselves lost or stuck or even eaten. A shepherd was necessary to care for his flock, to rescue the sheep from danger, to protect them and guide them to places which would be good for them. Before becoming king of Israel, David was a shepherd boy. We are introduced to him in the book of 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel, the anointed prophet of God, is sent to anoint a new king. And here we have ruddy, beautifully-eyed and handsome young David, who is sent along with his brothers and then selected as king from among them. David is the last to appear before Samuel, and we hear how he's been keeping the sheep, 
chosen, even though he's the youngest of all the brothers. A little earlier in the book of Samuel, chapter 13, verse 14, we hear how God has rejected the current king Saul, and he has sought a man after his own heart. There we go, it's on the screen there, yeah. There we go, first line, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And then skipping forward to chapter 16, verse 7, God speaks to Samuel when the first son of Jesse stands before him, so not David. And he says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As with his reference to David, God looks on our hearts. He is seeking hearts that adore him rather than an oppressive outward appearance. So where is your heart currently at? Do you want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Or is it chasing after aspirations, dreams, achievement, fulfillment, happiness, acceptance? What are you thinking right now? What's your go-to when you want to forget everything else? If it isn't God, good news. This preach is going to be especially helpful for you. Perhaps you're thinking, okay, Tom, so... What can I do to have a heart like David's, like God's? Well, if our first port of call is to think about ways in which we can achieve a heart like God's, we have taken a step in exactly the wrong direction that we need to go in. We need to realise that everything good comes from God. So, naturally, we need to start by asking him to help us. His spirit has been sent to and longs to help you. Once we've come to this place of understanding, what steps can we take practically? Well, there is an age-old saying, you are what you eat. In other words, what you take in will shape who you are. I've asked the guys to keep Psalm 23 on the screen just because it essentially is the crux of this whole preach. So feel free to glance back at it, but we're going to reference it every now and again. So what are you taking in? What are you listening to? What are you watching on TV? What conversations are you having with other people? Who do you enjoy talking to and why is that? What do you observe in the world around you? What podcasts or YouTube subscriptions are you signed up to? What does your Spotify playlist or record collection look like? Essentially, what do you spend your time doing? And consider the songs that we sing, for we all sing, reciting the fun and interesting rhyme of words in literature and poem, the popular tunes that we hum along to, the songs we chant with others, the elated rejoicing and dancing to the personal favourites. Even the famous atheist Richard Dawkins sings... And I heard him say the other day that he sings hymns in the shower. (laughs) Songs can often remind us of the good and the bad times, triggering emotions and feelings from the past. They trigger preferences in our thinking and guide the actions of our hearts. What we listen to, the songs we sing, shape our lives. It's a God-given, inbuilt mechanism that we all have. You are therefore what you sing. As my study Bible helpfully summarises, the purpose of the Psalms is to give God's people, that's us, the words to express their emotions and bring their experiences before God. At the same time, the Psalms do not simply express emotions, but when sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. Consider the process of learning a song, taking in lyrics over and over. We never sing a song off by heart after listening to it only once. It often takes many rehearsals before we all learn the lyrics. Therefore, what we sing is what we have taken in. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, David speaks of his former life as a shepherd, The struggles he faces, fighting lions and bears. It is clear that he has had much practice in speaking the truths of God to his own heart, growing in his relationship with God and trusting in him more and leading him to face the enemy giant Goliath with a sling and a few pebbles full of faith. 
the songs we sing shape our hearts and minds. Through the process of memorizing these songs, our minds bring forth words that we have learned. And as we have taken the time to learn these words, it shows where our hearts are at. Like the phrase, he or she put their heart into it. Our actions are motivated by our hearts, therefore we need to keep reminding our hearts. And there is a wonderful uniting of both hearts and mind when we sing. So I have three points to make this morning, for those of you who like to take notes. The first two flesh out how singing sustains and reminds us, and the third point is an application for growing an appetite for singing. So point one, singing sustains. It carries the truths from Sunday into Monday. You know, we hear a lot of really great stuff here on a Sunday during all parts of our meeting, whether it be through the song worship or the delivery of the word afterwards. Learning these truths that we sing along with others on a Sunday is encouraging and uplifting. With these songs in our memories, the truths that we have learned are replayed methodically in our minds and carry through into Monday when we find ourselves back in the world. Truth. Has there ever been a time when the precious importance of truth has been so obvious? Regardless of what your stance or you have on Brexit or the current presidency in America or the Novichok gas or the Russian meddling in the US elections, etc., there can be no denying that as truth is exclusive by definition, when two different parties claim a completely opposite state of affairs, we know that at best only one is speaking the truth. As the 4th century philosopher Augustine puts it, all humans by nature desire to know the truth. And learning truths from God on Sunday carries through into Monday. In Psalm 23, we see David begins the song by speaking truth to himself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, etc. David is reaffirming the truths, speaking them to his heart, reminding his soul, his very being, of what God has already said. It's like David has started his Monday at the palace office with a bad feeling about the week ahead of him. And instead of allowing the lies to wash over and influence him, David has actively sought to remind himself of the truth. And it's not just for Mondays. Singing these truths continue onwards from Sunday and carry us through every season of life. And there is a psalm for each one. He is your shepherd, remember? Remember that description I gave you earlier, the task of being a shepherd? He cares greatly for you in every, every life situation. Looking back at the first part of the psalm, he makes me lie, lie down in green pasture. He leads us, essentially, to places which are good for us. He, he leads me beside still waters. His care is true peace. He restores my soul. That is, he gives life, vitality. Anyone need some of that this morning? I certainly do. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that means he has made a promise, and he keeps his promises because he is a faithful God. My second point is singing reminds. Singing reminds us of what God has already done for us in Christ. I think a lot of us consider life as though we've been placed in a strip of no man's land but on a battlefield between the forces of good and evil. And when we make decisions, choosing to take a few steps towards God's side by doing some good works, or failing and sinning and seeming to meander into enemy lines, or perhaps we are just trying to walk the line, staying on the fence and remaining as close as possible to a neutral position so that we have the best of both worlds. Essentially, that kind of thinking is that we are masters of our own destiny. The truth is, in fact, that we are not in this metaphorical area of no man's land. We're not in enemy lines. We're not even walking. Galatians 3:22. We are all prisoners to sin. What best describes our starting condition here on earth is that we are in fact prisoners of law, prisoners of war, locked up far behind enemy lines and fortifications in the deepest and darkest dungeon. 
A little further on in Galatians 3, verse 26 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through your faith in him. You may have forgotten, or you may not even know it yet, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news. And it applies to every area of our lives for the rest of our lives. We are not only freed from our prison in darkness, but we are now actually children of God. We have gone from the wrath and judgment day to embrace a kind father who we can get to know now. Restless souls need to be still and know that God is in control. Songs remind us of what God has already done for us in Christ. There is nothing left for him to do. Christ sat down at the Father's right side. These days are for recognising and remembering that Christ died for us and he took the wrath of God on our behalf. Singing reminds us of what God is going to do for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this psalm, we see that God is preparing a table for us. Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. These are not just nice words to remember or a description of good things that may come our way in this life. Goodness and mercy is God himself. He is pursuing us and will continue to do so for the rest of our lives. No matter how many times we mess up, no matter how we feel or where we're at, here is a wonderful truth to keep close to your your hearts for the rest of your lives. And at the end of our lives, we get to dwell in his house forever. How does that sound for you? Do you want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? If your answer is, I don't know, or no, uh, or yes, but I don't really know why, may I suggest that this is because the Lord is either a bit of or a complete stranger to you? I mean, take a look around the room. Choose someone you don't know. Now, who would honestly say yes if I asked them if they wanted to go and live with that person forever? <laughs> not just tonight, not just a weekend or a year, but forever. I described us just now as being locked up in a dungeon without hope, and that our belief in Jesus sets us free from this place. Consider also, we killed him. We killed God's only son, and now we mention him only to use his name as a curse. And yet he still chooses to not only forgive us, but to love us as children. Maybe you don't know him, but on face value, isn't this the sort of person you'd want to be with forever? I really hope that this inspires you to want to find out more about him. Unlike earthly relationships, which all fail to completely satisfy us, he is good and kind and he knows everything. He knows our needs, what's happened to us, what will happen to us. He knows what we've done, even in secret. And yet he prepares a table for us in his house. The best host known to man. The best dinner party ever prepared. And he welcomes you in with open arms. And what do we bring to the table? What could we possibly offer to the God who has everything? Well, we can worship him through singing songs of praise to him for what he has done and what he continues to do. Point three, we need to grow an appetite for singing. It doesn't come naturally. We need to grow our appetites for good soul food, soul food, and that is singing together. We have an enemy, and we are being lied to every day, all day. The devil is not a metaphor for sinful inclination, as some believe. The Bible tells that he, us that he is real and, and a very evil being, a present danger, and is the master of lies. It's his goal to swindle us, to distract us, and keep us locked away in that dungeon until it's too late for us to be rescued. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects us. The rod and the staff was used by shepherds to club attacking animals. David smashed lions and bears with, him, with his. 
God is our powerful protector against the roaring lion. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 describes the armour of God. It should come up. There he is. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Coming together, we also find protection. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we are a flock, and outside the flock there is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You may not notice it, but we are being hammered, peppered by fiery darts of the evil one. We need to build up that shield of faith in God by bringing more of the belt of truths into our lives. It's that central item of armour that holds everything together. And just with the battle, putting on the armour of God is not a lonely exercise. We are called to do this together in community. Christ is building his church. Matthew 16, verse 18. He's on the offensive. He's building an army of spiritual warriors to attack the gates of Hades, which will not prevail. He's not selecting a last man standing winner from a gladiator tournament. We need to grow an appetite for more of God's truths in our lives and recognise that he has called us into community. And coming together in times of worship, it's necessary for our well-being. By coming together as a congregation to sing his praises, we feed our souls good food that sustain us for the week ahead. So we grow that by, by focusing while we sing in church and following up and the, uh, singing throughout the week with these songs. Singing sharpens our thoughts where they can be murky and mysterious to us, using scripture brings the thoughts together and focuses our hearts and minds. Without a focus, our minds could be anywhere when we sing. Our purpose in life is not necessarily to read the Bible. But God has chosen to reveal himself through it. Just thought I'd scare Tony a bit that way. <laughs> but God has actually chosen him to reveal himself through the Bible. So without having the stuff in your head your relationship is going to be very much one way with God. That is, you sing to him and that's it. <laughs> it sounds to me a bit like a relationship with a pot plant that you may sing to. Yes, people actually do this. <laughs> they sing and talk to their plants. <laughs> it, it might work, but that's... Without reminding your heart of the truth in the Bible... That is, God speaking to you. How is your relationship with God any different to a relationship with your favourite shrub? Singing may help the plant grow, but you don't grow a relationship with it. So we ought to sing, uh, sing the, the rich truths of the gospel. As a family, we often play music CDs in the car. In the last couple of years, we've been listening to a series called Seeds of Worship, which is essentially biblical verses in children's song form. It's amazing how much truth I have in me as a result of chiming in with these very basic CDs. Often I have found the truths helpful. There's a track on Philippians with the answer to anxiety. There's a track on Romans about all things working together for my good because I love the Lord. And there's a track on Roman, another track on Romans that, that in fact nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. We need to be singing these songs daily so that they can, so they can sustain us and remind us who we are in Jesus our destiny and hope, and how to handle different situations. 
So then, we ought to be singing these songs often so they can sustain and remind us. Colossians 3, verse 2. It's important that we set our minds on heavenly, heavenly things as the natural state of the mind is hostile to God. A couple of weeks ago, we had Brian Mowry come and visit us and speak. And as he put it, it's our bent. That really stuck with me, that phrase. We need to do this often. So this week, this week, sing songs that are rich in truth. I'm coming to a close now. And as we finish, let's have a closer look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you notice that David starts off by reminding himself in the first part of that psalm of the promises of God and his faithfulness. The Lord is. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. Then, once his mind has reminded his heart, his heart addresses God directly. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. For you are, for your rod, you prepare, you anoint. Notice David is now speaking to God as if face to face, and he's speaking to him as if he's a friend. For his reminded heart is pouring out his gratitude and affection to God. Did you know that the very purpose of your life is to get to know him? That's a radical claim if you think about it. Our purpose is not necessarily to read the Bible, but God has chosen to reveal himself through this wonderful book. So without having it in your head, your relationship, like I said, is going to be very much one way. There may be a number of people who know this psalm, maybe even off by heart. But do you know the shepherd? Knowing the psalm is head knowledge, but knowing the shepherd comes from the heart. Search your heart. How well do you know your God? And are you content with this? If so, why? There is so much more for you in him. If you do not know him at all, that's fine. Start today. The invitation is for you personally. This is for you. You can know the creator. You can step into a personal relationship with him. And you will never again be wanting. Getting to know him isn't such an alien prospect as it first may seem. Consider love letters, for example. When a couple are dating, it's common for them to write each other letters, expressing the love that they feel for each other as keepsakes to treasure and thus increasing their love for each other. This is true of God also. Though, instead of sporadically receiving new ones, and usually only during the start of the relationship, God has written his love letter to you in the form of the Bible. All of his love letters are already available for you to read. Without reminding your heart of the truth in the Bible, how is your relationship with God going to be any different to the relationship with this plant? We may as well turn up on a Sunday for a good chat, sing songs of worship to this plant, and then have a nice sit down for some stimulating talk, and then eat biscuits and drink coffee. If this is how your Sunday looks like, you're missing it. This week, try it. Sing songs rich in truth. If you don't know any, learn some. YouTube is full of worship songs with lyrics. And after a couple of watches, you'll start to get the hang of it. Memorise some psalms. After this preach, you're pretty much already halfway with Psalm 23. Remember, you are significant to him. God loves you. Tell people of God's affection, and this will stir up desire for him. He has been so kind to us. Zephaniah 3:17. Did you know God rejoices over us with gladness? He will exult over you with loud singing, it says. The meaning of the word exult, to show or feel a lively or triumphant joy. Rejoice exceedingly. 
he be highly elated or jubilant. God is passionate about you. He's not indifferent or uncaring. You do not simply wander into his presence. Remember, it was a rescue mission. Perhaps we have never experienced such an, exception, uh, an acceptance, such a passion for us here in stiff, stiff upper lip Britain. The cross was Jesus fighting tooth and nail for us. When we could have so easily have summoned, he could have so easily have summoned a whole angel army. What is stirring up your passions? Can it really compare to a love such as this? You know, you could spend the rest of your life just with the truth in Psalm 23. Now, obviously, there's no point sticking with this, as there's so much more to offer in this wonderful book, not to mention a greater understanding of context and the numerous examples of his love for us. But Psalm 23 reminds us that God cares for us, that we don't need to fear, that we have everything that we need in him we do not need to want, and that our future hope is in him who does not perish or grow weary. What I've come to realise is that the more I read into his word and explore his character and learn of his promises, the more I am in awe of him and my affection for him is kindled. Even an eternity of getting to know him isn't going to be enough time to exhaust the depth and breadth of his character. He is so wonderful to know, so kind and so satisfying. And he is available to us, each and every one of us here. He extends his invitation without discrimination, without any presuppositions or requirements. All we are required to do is acknowledge his son Jesus and allow his will to be done in our lives. At the start of this preach, I mentioned that I was really looking forward to being here and, and speak to you lot. And I genuinely mean it when I say it. The reason is because, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Dave spoke on it, I'm a simple clay jar, but I have found a treasure. And that treasure is now within me. My heart is so thankful to him. I want everyone here to know just how amazing he is. I want everyone else to have that treasure. Jesus has captured my heart. I love him. He is my favourite topic. I love reading about him. I love talking to other people about him and bringing his good news into people's lives. I speak to him daily. I ask him for help. I sing songs of praise to him. I moan to him. I apologise to him. <laughs> and then I thank him. He speaks to me and I ignore him. Increasingly, though, I am learning to listen to his voice. I'm glad love is patient and kind. Did you notice the theme of the preach? It's the importance of a relationship with him, that is, getting to know him. If you're singing songs for any other reason other than thanksgiving to him for who he is and what he has done, and indeed continues to do for you, you may as well be singing your songs of praise to this plant. Sing songs of worship to him with your head and from your heart. So in summary then, how do you sing with your heart? Ask God for help. Read and commit to your mind God's promises. Make the decision to start believing what you are reading, hearing and taking God for his word. Our appetites for good soul food will increase because he will be quicker to remember what God has done, what he is going to do for us and how kind he has been to us. If this is the first time you have heard anything like this and feel a conviction growing in your heart, this is God at work in your life. Follow this up by talking to me or someone here at the front. This is why we're here. Greg, if you want to come back and start strumming. Cheers. So we're going to enter back into a time of worship now. And I'm going to recite Psalm 23 one more time. This time, feel free to join in with me. Perhaps close your eyes so that you can focus better. And let your mind speak to your hearts, the first part. And then speak to God from your hearts, from the second part. It's a great exercise to do to kind of kickstart us in our relationships with God. And then as we continue to sing, sing from your heart this morning. 
Please stand. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.